You ever been a place you really didn't like? Hopefully you not here. You just really didn't like it. You didn't want to be there. You didn't like anything about it. And you said, how can this possibly be God's will for me to be in this place at this time? This is just all bad and I don't like it. You ever been there? Yeah. It's hard at a time like that to fight off what I call the cancer of discontent. I have uh, friends, Joe and Jane, who they had the most beautiful log home in the woods. I'll never forget when the first time I ever went and saw them in their home. It was like, oh my goodness, it was like Martha Stewart. It was such a beautiful home in the woods, back in the woods, off the main road, little winding drive that goes back to their house. They lived way out in the country in a beautiful, beautiful place in northwest Michigan. And he went into their home, and I sat in a Queen, Band, uh, Queen Anne wingback chair, and, and it would just smelled nice, and it was such a nice... And they were generous people. They would invite people over, pastors and missionaries and stuff, into their home. They built, eventually, they built onto their home. They built on this beautiful uh, room in the back with a wood-burning stove and a cathedral ceiling. Like a, like a, 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 it, was, it was nice. And uh, down the, they had two adult daughters. One of them lived down the road with her husband and the little grandson. And the other one came home and moved across the road in a little patch of woods they owned, right across the road. So they kind of had it, they had things were going good. They had money in the bank. He, he worked hard, they saved, they, they put money in the stock market, and, and they saved up, and in 1999, they had a, a half a million dollars in the stock market. And they're very generous with other people, very kind to other people, and it's just a happy time in their life. Everybody was healthy, and everybody was well. It was in 1999. But then things kind of got hard and, and difficult. Joe, he's just a gracious guy, very, very easy to get along with, and, and a fun guy. He, was, uh, he didn't really need to work too much longer, so he, he was contemplating an early retirement. Well, we, we moved from the area shortly after that, but then the word that we heard about uh, Joe and Jane really didn't sound good. They'd come on hard times, difficulty. Time, times were difficult financially, but, but it's kind of worse. They had trusted some people with their money. They shouldn't have trusted. And by the time they finally withdrew their money from their investments, it had gone from a half a million dollars down to just enough to buy a, a tasteful double-wide home to put in uh, a mobile home park there in their town. They had to get rid of their house. And, uh, and then on top of that, Joe found out he had Parkinson's disease. And shortly thereafter, signs of dementia. And we just hear these stories about Joe and Jane and think, wow. If that happened to you, it would be really hard to fight off the cancer of discontent, wouldn't it? You take your Bibles and look in Jeremiah chapter 29. Maybe some of you say, well, we don't exactly live in Camelot right now, right? <laughs> you having trouble getting a job? I mean, I'm not going to ask how many people are here this morning because, well, you're unemployed. So I was at a coffee shop the other day trying to make, I was trying to make conversation. It works really well sometimes. I just kind of make conversation with people. Usually they laugh. But every once in a while I lay an egg, you know, like I was in a coffee shop the other day with my boys, and some guys were in line, and our, our order was kind of taking a while, and so I said, hey, I turned around to the guys behind us, and go, hey, you guys aren't in a big hurry, are you? I mean, after all, here in the Down River, nobody has a job. We've got to, right? 
I thought it was kind of funny myself. And they didn't laugh. Nobody laughed. And, um, and then afterward, Chuck said to me, yeah, that wasn't probably the funniest thing you ever said, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's not, it's not Camelot. Uh, if you got a job, it probably doesn't pay what it used to, right? If you have benefits, they're not what they used to be. And uh, we listen to the radio, and every morning, don't we? We listen to the radio saying, well, how's the economy doing? Tell me that just around the corner is, uh, is a rays, <laughs> is a, a, a ray of sunshine. It, we don't live in Camelot. I, I talk to people about their marriages. I talk to a lot of people that would, would love to be married, and they're not. I talk to people who are married and... They're not as happy as they would like to be. It's just true. Because the cancer of discontent eats away. And now it's Christmas. So it's going to get worse, right? Because we have this whole industry that, like, it feeds on discontent. It's like when you hear that lovely Christmas music playing, a frosty snowman and all that, and a little fat man is in a mall and all that. What does that basically mean is that now it's going to be even harder to be content because there's an entire industry that's using Christmas, that's prostituting Christmas to fuel discontent, right? So what's the problem? Now, here in the, in, in the Bible, we have a circumstance people didn't want to be in. Jeremiah is a prophet. He's a prophet to the people of God, many of whom have been carried away into Babylonian captivity. They're, they're slaves away from home. They're, they're living in bondage away from home. It's not good. It's very bad. It would, it would be really easy for the cancer of discontent just to eat, eat you alive. And here was the deal. They said, you're going to be in captivity. You're going to be in Babylonian captivity. How many of you know how many years it was? What was it? 70 years. How old are you? I'm 50. I'm eating the... Fr- I'm, well, I, I'm past 50. And I'm hitting, the, I'm hitting the fruits and vegetables really hard these days. But I, I am probably going to have to really work it to, to last 70 more years. If I went into Babylonian captivity today, <laughs> it would probably be the rest of my life unless I lived to be 120. It would be like a life sentence. So these people said, you're going to go uh, under the yoke of Babylon. You're not going to live among your people. Life, as you know, is going to be completely different. You're not going to have your temple to worship in anymore. You're going to be under really godless pagan people that are bad people that took you into slavery and captivity, and it's going to last for 70 years. That would be a, a message nobody would want to hear. But that was the message that God gave Jeremiah. He says, I want you to tell them that they need to bow the, ne- bow the neck, and I want them to submit to the king of Babylon. And if they resist, it's going to get worse. But if they submit, it'll be better. So there you go. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah, God gives Jeremiah not only messages, but God gives Jeremiah little um, illustrations. We don't do this as often as we ought to. Uh, Pastor Michael does, but, but, but not us old guys, you know. Here was Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, I want you to take a yoke like a yoke for cows, right? And I want you to send one to all the leaders of all the nations. I want you to tell them, hey, here's what it's going to be like. God says for me to tell you, you're going to have the yoke of the king of Babylon on you for 70 years. And if you resist, it's going to get worse. But if you submit, it will be better. 
So he wears this yoke while he's giving his message of a Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Says this in Jeremiah 27. Now there's another guy, as you can imagine, they're like positive thinker, preacher, uh, prophets that come along and they go, Hey, you don't have to listen to him. This isn't going to last 70 years. It's going to be a few years. We'll throw off the yoke. We'll come back to our land. Everything's going to be good. That's what the false prophet Hananiah the seer says. And he not only says that, but Hananiah the seer says, and this is what God, the God of Israel, has told me to tell you. He is a false, positive-thinking prophet. You don't have to listen to that prophet, that old hard-nosed windbag. It's 70 years of cap. Don't listen to him. Here's the message. few years of this, we're going to be back home. To illustrate this, what does the guy have the temerity to do? He goes and he takes the yoke off of Jeremiah himself. And he takes the yoke and he breaks it. And he says, that's what God's told me to tell you. That we're going to break the yoke of Babylonian oppression. So a couple of verses later, God says to him in Jeremiah uh, 28. Verse 10 is where he took the yoke off the prophet's neck and broke it. Verse 12, you have broken the yokes of wood. But you have made in their place yokes of iron, God says. So you sure you want to mess with me? And verse 16 says, Therefore says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah, the prophet, died the same year in the seventh month. Now what does Jeremiah do then? Jeremiah sits down and he writes a letter. God inspires Jeremiah to write a letter. Tell the people, you're in a place where you don't want to be. You're in a place that's worse than you ever imagined. You're in a place that you would change if you could. You're in a place that you would love a prophet to come along and tell you you can get out of it, but you can't. So what do you do when you're in a place like that? And Jeremiah writes a letter telling him, this is what God says for you to do in a place like that. So if you're in a place this morning where you'd really rather not be, and you wish to think we're different than they really are, and you feel like you've had the kind of life sentence handed to you, and things aren't economically the way you'd like for them to be, or things aren't maritally or physically like you'd like them to be, and you would change them if you could, it might be a good idea for you and for I to sit and listen to what Jeremiah says to people who are in circumstances that they would like to change but can't. And look at what he says in, in Jeremiah 29. He writes this letter to, the, to those in captive, those that are carried away captive, and the elders... And it's from the Lord. Verse 3 says, The letter was sent by the hand of uh, Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphan. And verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he tells them to do. Listen up. Verse 5, Build houses, dwell in them, Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives. Beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. His peace is the shalom word. It's a big word in the Bible. It, it's a very meaningful word. It means a wholeness or completeness. It'd be the ultimate way to bless somebody, shalom in the, in the Hebrew. He's saying, seek the shalom of the people who have taken you captive because in their shalom, you will find your shalom. Seek their prosperity because in their prosperity, you will find your prosperity. This is counterintuitive. Would you agree? This kind of goes against the grain. Would you agree? 
You're like, don't you tell me that i got to be nice to these people that did these terrible things to me. I'm going to resist them every inch of the way. As a matter of fact, there's a popular song that comes up out of Israel during this time that the people love to sing. It's it's found in Psalm 137. We'll look at it later. It's a popular song that basically says, don't you tell me to sing. (laughs) That's what the name of the song is like, don't tell me to sing. We'll see that in a minute. So there you have verse 7. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its shalom, you will have shalom, peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you or listen to your dreams which you you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, this is just a little chunk of this letter, but this is a big piece of what Jeremiah is saying. Because if you go back to chapter 27, chapter 28, over and over, Jeremiah is saying, the main thing is you guys got to learn. Where you're in a place where you don't want to be, do not listen to false teaching. He says it over and over again. So this is what he's told them. He basically says, I want you to go and I want you to build homes. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to thrive, flourish, and grow. I want you to get married. I want you to have big families. I want you to to increase and not diminish. That is exactly the opposite of what you would think. Interesting. I think it's awesome if you just take the same truth and you apply it to our circumstances right now where you don't live in Camelot. And here it is now, Thanksgiving, and it's Christmas. It's supposed to be all cheerful and happy. <laughs> String the lights and, you know, roasted turkey and be happy. But you're like, well, I can't afford a turkey. <laughs> so it's going to be spam this year. I, I like spam. It's, it's really bad for you. But uh, So what do you do when you're in Babylon and you want to be out? Let me suggest some ideas from the Word. First, accept that you are where you are because God wants you to be where you are. I know you'd have to think about that for a while. We, we call this the providence of God, His sovereignty. You are where you are right now because God wants you to be where you are right now. Oh, it doesn't mean that things won't change or you shouldn't move. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't change things, but you have to understand when you feel like you have a life sentence on you and things aren't the way that you wish they would be. You know, we got, we got a problem with wayward kids, right? What could wring your heart out more than like wayward kids? In our culture, we got wayward parents. So things aren't what the way, way they ought to be. And so we're like in Babylon and we want to cast this yoke off and we got false prophets that say, you don't have to put up with this. Well, accept that where you are, is where you are because God wants you to be where you are. He's at work in this. And where do I, where do I get that, the, that idea? A couple of times in the letter from Jeremiah, he makes it very clear. Look in verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of all the armies, right? The God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Statement of the sovereignty of God, of the providence of God. Nebuchadnezzar says, it wasn't God's idea, it was my idea. I'm the one that did it. God says, no, I'll let you do it. You don't get to do anything I don't let you do. I'm going to tell you exactly how long it's going to be. When it's over, it's over when I say it's over. God's in charge of how long you're in Babylon. God's in charge of how long you're in Babylon. 
So he says, um, I caused you to be carried away. And then it occurs again in verse 7. Seek the peace of the city where I caused you to be carried away. So the first thing is accept that you are where you are because God wants you there. You say, I don't want to be here. It's like, well, God wants you to be there. I don't want it to be like this. God wants it to be like this. This is what he has ordained for you right now. Accept that. Until you accept that, the cancer of discontent is going to chew your insides out. Realize that God can do beautiful things in ugly places. He can do, he can do profound things in circumstances that you never wanted to be in before. Second thing, bloom where you're planted. I don't know how else to say that. This is exactly what they're saying. Wherever you are, plant a garden. Make things grow. Do something that makes things grow. Let life flourish around you wherever you are. You're in captivity. You're in Babylon. Okay. Do something for God. Do something for good. Make things grow. Get married. Have a family. I, I like this. You, you notice, can I go back to that again? Can I just like park on that a little bit? Start in the beginning of the Bible, and what do you have? That whole thing, be fruitful and multiply. And then after the f- flood, what does it say again? Don't multiply anymore. It says be fruitful and multiply. Huh. Where in the Bible does it say stop being fruitful and multiplying? I'm just wondering. Anybody see that part? Is anybody here, can anybody here tell where in the Bible it says don't do that anymore? It's just, okay. You ever hear a story about um, the young couple? They were teachers. And they lived in the 60s. It was terrible. There were riots and, you know, there's all kinds of things going on. They think, what a terrible world we live in. The sexual revolution and anarchy and there's riots in the streets. It's a terrible time to have a baby. And they were just a young couple thinking, maybe we would just won't even have a baby and bring a baby into this mess of a world that we live in. And they're walking out through the parking lot one day and they had just put fresh tar on the parking lot. And as they're walking out through the parking lot, they see a little tuft of grass that's made its way up through the dark asphalt up to the light, and they, and they took that as a sign from the Lord. No matter how heavy and how dark the time is, life can overcome death. And they had their baby. He's a grown man now. And they wrote a song during that time. You know the song. You've sung it. I've sung it. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and see the love and joy he gives. But sweeter still, the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives, built in glory gathers, because he lives. And are you tempted to think the same thing? These times are worse than ever before. Things are worse than they've ever been before. Things are ugly. People are far from God. These are times of apostasy. It's like a dark cloud has come over everything. The black top is spread over everything I love. Wait a minute. You make something grow. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You're who you are. You're where you are. But by God's grace, you can make something grow. And that's what he's saying. Plant gardens and make something flourish. So bloom where you planted. I think it's pretty good advice, don't you think? I do. Now, the third thing is seek the good or the shalom of others. Seek the peace of other people. Do good to other people. Now, I want to I want to give you, I don't have a lot, a lot of time for this, but I want to give you a little bit of an idea how our church can do this. Don't get all freaked out about it because it's not something you can, maybe you can start it tomorrow, but, you, you, you know, I'm not expecting that. I'm not saying, hey, start doing this tomorrow. If you want to, you can, you know, just jump in. I'm just saying we're going to lead you in this. We're going to lead you in this. It's not something that you're going to, we're going to help you, coach you, we're going to train coaches, we're going to help you in this. But, but some of you kind of wonder, you know, a few months ago I gave a message about change and half of you loved it and half of you didn't like it, right? That's a, I knew it was going to be. Can we talk about that? Honeymoon's over, isn't it? Yeah, it's all right. 
I ain't scared. So, so, so here's the deal. You go change what? Right? I and mean, that's natural. We're a GARBC church, General Association of Regular Baptists, also known as Grand Army of Rebellious Baptists. <laughs> what we are. We are who we are because we didn't change when everybody else changed. Right? That's what, who we are. We're independent, fundamental, Bible-leaving, fire-breathing Baptist people. And we try to be nice about it, but that's what we are. We believe the Bible. We believe in salvation. We're not going to change that. We're still going to be talking about the virgin birth till Jesus comes back. We're still going to be preaching the gospel till Jesus comes back. We're still going to be preaching about a holy life till Jesus comes back and doing our best to raise our kids to live a holy life until Jesus comes back. But you know what? <laughs> Some things better change. <laughs> Some things better change. Oh, there's going to be fewer and fewer of us to encourage to do that. It's a fact. It's a fact. We are who we are because we didn't change, but we're not going to be who we ought to be unless we do change something. And that is, we're going to have to take what we have, and we're going to have to go to places where we've never gone before in a different way than we ever have before. You're thinking, what is that going to look like? We have a little bit of an outline of what it might look like. To, and this is the way to spread the peace, spread the shalom to others. Okay, here we go. You ready? You want to see this? Raise your hand if you want to see this. Okay, it's going to be a longer message, but you wanted it. Okay, here we go. And so get a partner or a team, or, uh, get a partner or a team and a coach. So imagine this. You get, you get a partner, somebody else that's going to help you, your wife or a friend or whatever, or a little team, two or three of you. Girls, guys, young, old, doesn't matter. Get a little team. You're going to obey the Lord in going out and helping people come to the Lord. Okay? Get a partner or a team and get a coach. Have somebody help you. A pastor, a friend, a deacon, leader in the church, somebody a little more mature. Somebody a few steps down the road. And, and again, we'll help you with this later. But this is just, I want to give you the idea so you're getting an idea, okay? So you get a partner or a team and then get a coach or a mentor or a discipler. Right? Second then, create a circle of influence. Now you maybe already have a circle of influence. People that you love and that you care about, you're praying for. How many of these people know the Lord? Well, a lot of them don't, right? It's not hard to, you work in the world, you live in the world, your neighborhood and the places where you go, people that don't know the Lord yet. And some of them aren't going to know the Lord, some of them are. But they're your circle of influence. You have a circle of influence I don't have. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I don't have a circle of influence anymore because I've been saved for such a long time. Basically, all I do is hustle to church, hustle home, hustle to church, hustle home. And your neighbors are like, who is that masked man? It's like the church guy. He goes to church, he comes back. Every once in a while he comes and he invites me to something at church. But basically, that's all. Now we're talking about here, you, you create a circle of influence then. Now what do you do with this circle of influence? Well, you make a prayer list out of those folks. Because you love them, you like them, pray for them. So now you're talking to God about these people every day. Got it? You got a prayer list. And then you love them, and you listen to them, and you know them, and you listen to their story, and you figure out what their favorite recipe is, and you go to the kids' ball game. Can I tell you something real quick? I've been to kids' ball games for years. Years and years and years I've been to kids' ball games. As a youth pastor, that's just what youth pastors do. They hustle around and go to other kids' ball games. And I know that people appreciate it because they would often say to me, hey, pastor, thanks for coming to my kid's ball game. But a while ago, I went to Lansing at one of my kid's ball games. And when I got there, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but somebody from this church was already there. And when I walked up there, I could not hold back the tears of gratitude for somebody driving all that way to see my boy play soccer. Just couldn't tell you how it made me feel. It isn't hard to love people. Go to the kids' soccer games. Bake them something. Contribute to their untimely death, you know. Here's carrot cake. You're going to die. Do you know where you're going when you die? You know? 
Love them. Listen to them. Know them. You know, you get to be an expert in your circle of influence. You got a circle of influence, you're loving on those people, and you're praying for those people, and you're caring about those people, and you're listening to those people. I like to say it this way. Feel around the edge of their soul for the cracks where the gospel's going to go in later on. And you're going to feel around the edge of their soul. You're going to go, oh, this one has shame in their past. This one is just overcome with shame. You're going to feel around the edge of their soul as you get to know them. You go, oh, this one here is materialistic. They think the stuff is all there is to it. Feel around the edge of their soul. Oh, this one fears death or aging. Feel around the edge of their soul. This one was abandoned by her husband years ago. And her whole life has been defined by abandonment. Feel around the edge of their soul. You'll find if you love people, you listen to them, there's a place, there's a crack in their soul where the gospel can flow right in there. Now, what are you going to do then after that? You're going to seek permission to share the gospel. There's a thing in marketing they're talking about these days called permission marketing. I like the idea. Instead of like you badger somebody, it's like, hey, can I ask for You get kind of asked permission. Well, hey, I believe in confrontational evangelism, right? I just fine. Walk right up to somebody and, you know, just start talking to them. That's okay. That's good. There's examples of that in the Bible. But also, this is a thing like permission evangelism. I love doing this. And I've done it for many years. And I love doing it. It's been fruitful for me. And that is, I get to know somebody. I love them. I spend time with them. I talk to them. I watch them. I watch their eyes, feel around the edge of their soul, look for the little crack. And then when you see there's a little openness, there's an interest, then you ask permission. It might be something as simple like, hey, uh, there's, a, there's a coffee they're putting together down at the Riverstop Cafe. It's called a brown trout. Have you ever had one? It's amazing. I'll buy you one. We can sit down and talk. It's something I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about spiritual things or however you want to say it. God will give you the words to say. And you invite them into your home or you invite them on a little Bible study. You invite them to have coffee or you, you know, whatever. It just can be as creative as you want it to be. But you seek permission to share the gospel. Now you understand right here, what if they say yes? Then you got to go get somebody that knows how to give them the gospel, right? Or you got to give them the gospel yourself, right? So you're going to want to be ready for this, right? So that's what we're going to help you too. We're going to help you prepare, I mean, 600 members of Evangel Baptist Church living up to their name. Wouldn't it be wonderful to train 600 people to be able to make the gospel clear? Wouldn't that be awesome? This is this is amazing church, 600 people. We have this building that was here, built debt-free by the sacrifice of God's people in a perfect place on a thoroughfare. Everybody knows where our church is. And then all around this are people. Everywhere you look, we don't have sand dunes around here. We don't have forest and trees around here. That's wasting time. We have people around here. And there are people that are living and dying and breathing and trying to be happy. There are people that are living and dying and breathing and they're crushed by guilt and by sin and by shame. And you are a Christian and you know the gospel and you can see their lives completely change if you get involved in something like this. Sounds kind of exciting, doesn't it? I'm pumped up about getting this whole church revived in this thing. I'm excited about getting this whole church revived in this very simple thing right here. If we do this, we will be talking about it around the fire in heaven we do this, and we will look at each other as we pass on the golden streets, and we'll smile. <laughs> we were there when we saw those people come into the kingdom. You know, I tell you, I got this exciting idea. First of the year, January 1 is the Lord's Day. And, and, um, and so we've got Sunday, we've got January 1st, and I'm just thinking, we have people that are here, and you know, I badger you about this all the time, and, and I'm doing it with like a smile on my face so you get mad at me. Uh, but you haven't been baptized yet. But you know you need to. And you want to obey the Lord in this. I, I would like to see a, a wave of obedience go across our church. 
A wave of excited, enthusiastic obedience to the Great Commission. A wave of excited, enthusiastic, teach me how to give the gospel. Like, I'm, I'm ready for a refresher course so that I'm ready when I get a person to this place. A wave of obedience. And I would like it to begin with people obeying the Lord in salvation. People obeying the Lord in baptism. So on January 1st, come to me right away. And I will co- walk you through it. Or I'll, I'll assign somebody to walk you through it. Prepare you for baptism on January 1st, Sunday morning. How would that be? That's exciting. How many of you would love to come to a baptism service on Sunday morning, January 1st? That'd be good? That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Okay, we need some baptismal candidates now. Who's going to get baptized? You've been sitting around thinking about it. Now's the time. Let's do it. Come on. Sunday morning, January 1st, a fresh obedience to the Lord. And then as we look out there, we think, now that baptistry, we shouldn't let any mold grow in the water. That should be stirred all the time. The baptistry water should be being stirred by people getting baptized all the time. All the time. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could look back and our kids would say, I was at Evangel Baptist Church in the most exciting years that we could have ever been there because people were getting saved and testimonies week after week of people getting saved. But this is how it's going to happen. So we seek permission to share the gospel. You're going to get trained to share the gospel. You go, I don't know if I could ever do that. Can you make the cake so somebody else can share the gospel with a sweet taste in their mouth? You say, I don't know if I can invite people. Okay, can you create an inviting place on your table where people come over to your house? And maybe the last day, could you just share a word of testimony about how you got saved? Could, could you do that? You say, but you don't understand. That. I, don't, I don't like doing stuff like that. I, I, like, I, like, I do like scrapbooking and things like that. You think there are any lost ladies that like scrapbooking? Our men? I don't want to meet them, but, you know, there, there might be <laughs> there might be, men or, there might be other women that also like scrapbooking. And you say, I just couldn't bring myself to be that aggressive. Don't be aggressive. Just be, just be obedient to the Lord and invite them into your little scrapbooking thing, scrapbook with them. And you think while you're looking at those pictures and all the things that God has done in your life, you think something might leak out there about your love for Jesus during that time? Come on. You know, very well, well, that's the time. What's this? That's a baptism. What's a baptism? Well, we don't need to talk about that right now. I'm shy. Oh, come on. Isn't that exciting? I'm excited about it. So seek permission to share the gospel. So here you go. You see that? Get a partner or a team and get a coach. And then create a circle of influence if you don't already have one. And then make a prayer list of those people. And then love them and listen to them and get to know them. Feel around the edge of their souls for the cracks in their soul. And then when the time's right, seek permission to share the gospel. If they want to hear it, share the gospel. If they don't want to hear it, share it real quick anyway. And then get back into the first and just cycle it again. Repeat the process. Does that make sense? How many of you understand this? How many of you understand? It's pretty simple, right? Now, now that's what I'm talking about. Wouldn't it be exciting? And we're going to course correct this. You're going to add things to it. We'll take things away. We'll, we'll, we'll modify things. We'll create material for this. We'll create training for this. We'll create training programs for this. But primarily what we're talking about is organizing our church in such a way that this could be, that evangelism and discipleship become viral and just take off and people are training other people. And no matter how old, how young you are, single, married, divorced, doesn't matter. You got a place here. Pretty exciting. Well, anyway, back to, back to Babylon, okay? So you're back in Babylon. So that's just one of the ways to spread shalom is kind of what we're talking about. But back to Babylon. We accept that where we are is where we are because God wants us there, at least for now. And we bloom where we're planted. And we seek the good, the shalom of others, kind of like what we're talking about. And then we, we don't listen to liars. Liars are going to come along. They're going to tell you lies. Don't listen. Verses 8 and 9. Notice it again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, don't let your prophets, your diviners who are in your midst, deceive you. Understand now, like no other time, as the end times come closer and closer, more and more false Christ. More and more really slick liars. How can you tell they're not telling the truth? 
They're not telling the truth because what they say doesn't match up with the Bible. It's just that simple. So you want to get your Bible, you want to check out what they say, is what this guy says, this woman says, coming straight out of the Bible directly without any embellishments, whatever. This is truth. Then I go by whatever God says, that's what I go by. Don't listen to lies. Don't believe anything else. There's one more thing, and that is take the long view. There's actually two more things. Take the long view. Take the long view. Look at verse 11. Um, verse 10 and 11. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place. You've got like 70 years? That's a long time. I- I'm going to have to have something right now. You're going to have something right now. Right now, you plant a vineyard. Right now, you plant a garden. Right now, you marry a wife. You give your daughters in marriage. Take, take daughters for your wife, or for, that would be bad. Take wives for your daughter. Take husbands for your daughters. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if I say something that's not in the Bible, you just need to reject it immediately. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so it's 12, and I'm still going to say this. Uh, it, whatever you see in the Bible, like courtship or marriage, parents are involved in it. This is one of those examples. It's just saying, just saying. So, you know, it's just whatever you want to call it. Whatever you see is in a Bible, parents are involved. When the parents get kind of pushed aside, bad things happen. Parents are involved. That's good. So parents should be involved. And this is what he's saying. He says, make life flourish. Have, take a wife, husband, have babies, plant a garden, do good to other people that are around you, and, and then take the long view. Understand that one day you go back, one day, you say, this is a life sentence. And the answer might be, yes, it might be a life sentence, but not an eternal death sentence. There is an eternity. There's a long view. That's what God wants to do. That's what the Psalms uh, say, the Psalm 73, the slippery Psalm. But I'm looking at people and they're prospering and they're wicked. Well, he says, go to church and remember their end. That God's going to bring judgment there. And so this is an important thing that we need to understand as well. We seek the good of others. We don't listen to people who tell us anything different. We take the long view. Let me give you a quick example of how this works. It's Thanksgiving time. You've got spam on the table. Right? You're like, whoa. This is not our best year. Here we are in this dingy apartment. We can't turn the heat up. We have spam or whatever. Or maybe you have a nice house, but the doctor told you you have cancer. Or maybe there's this empty chair at your table that you just, it just breaks your heart. And I could go on and on. People that are there, but the hearts aren't where they ought to be. And you're feeling the pain of that, the pressure of that. And now it's Thanksgiving. You're supposed to say thank you for something. What if the things that you really liked and loved, like what if you wrecked your favorite car or something? It's going to be a hard Thanksgiving. What do you do then? You take the long view, right? You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is my Thanksgiving based on? My Thanksgiving is not based on what I have or what I'm eating, or what I'm wearing, or where I live. My thanksgiving is based on things that are ultimate, where I stand with Jesus Christ. My God and my Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this world, He lived a perfect life. He lived a life I couldn't live. He died a death that I deserve to die. He paid in His blood for my, my sin debt. And I'm a child of God, because not because I'm good, but because I'm bad, and I believe in one who's good. And therefore, I have eternal life and salvation. And if I take the long view, I can always look forward to a time that's better. Because that's the way it is with believers. It's always getting better. Because we're going to a place where the sun will never set. 
and no one will ever die. And sin will never crush us again and there's no cancer of discontent there. And so that's the root of our thanksgiving. I hope you have that thanksgiving. And then there's one more thing, and that is you cry out to God. Now, I told you about a popular song that they sang. It's found in, it's, it's, it's numbered, Psalm 137. And it's actually kind of interesting, kind of humorous. The people are in Babylon, right? In Psalm 137, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. We remembered Zion. See, so you get this? They're in Babylon. It's a long way from home. And what are they doing? They're crying. And they're remembering what? They're remembering Zion. That's a, that's a beautiful word for Jerusalem. They're remembering what it used to be like. And so they're weeping. We remembered Zion. And what did they do? Verse 2, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. And those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. It's almost like, can you, are you serious? You, you, you're asking me to sing the songs of Zion and you drug me off here yourself? I've hung my harp on the willow. I'm not singing anymore. You want a song from me? Here's what my song is going to be. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I don't remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I don't exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. The song is not what the Babylonians expected it to be. It's what we call imprecatory, which means it's one of those ugly psalms. <laughs> it gets worse. Remember, O Lord, so here's the song. You want a song? They say, you want us to sing? We'll sing. Okay, we'll sing. God, help me never forget Jerusalem. God, never, if if I forget Jerusalem, help me never be able to fight again. (laughs) Help me never to forget that. And remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to his very foundation. Say, God, here's my song. God, remember how bad these people were to us and don't ever forget it. And then he says, and here's my song. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us, happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against a rock. Good night. It's like, seriously, it's that psalm. Did that ever, like, throw you off when you're having a little happy, like, sipping tea in your morning devotional time? You're like, happy is he who throws your babies on a rock and kills them. What's that all about? You read that, it's like, that's, that is the genuine expression of angst and pain and anger and frustration that you're allowed to tell God when you're in a place where you'd really rather not be. God, do you have any idea how bad it is? Yes, go ahead, tell me, tell me. Tell me, little one. Say it all, come on, he's got big shoulders. He's got broad shoulders, and he will bring righteousness and truth and right when the time has come. But while you're there, think about what you need to be doing right here. Accept that you are where you are because God wants you there and bloom where you're planted and seek the shalom of others and don't listen to lies and take the long view and cry out to God, but don't complain. So Thursday morning, I'm thinking about Joe and I'm thinking about Jane, you know, the folks with the log house in the woods. And I thought, I wonder how they're doing. So I got on Facebook and I friended Jane and she was on the computer. So she friended me right back and I sent her my phone number and I said, can you call me? And she did. So here we are now, closing that gap of all those years. I said, Jane, how's it going? I, I said, Jane, do you have time to talk to me? I need to talk with you a little bit. M- my purpose was that I was going to tell her story if she gave me permission, and I wasn't sure she'd really want to because it's, it's raw, right? But I said, Jane, you got time to talk with me? You know what she said? I sure do, Pastor. I got till about 10 o'clock. 
At 10 o'clock, there's a girl that lives across the street. She has four kids. She's a single mom. She's having a lot of trouble. She got a surprise pregnancy, and I was afraid she was going to abort the baby. But I've loved her, and I've gone over there, and I've tried to help her and give her things, and I'm taking her to the doctor at 10 o'clock. So I'll be busy at 10, but I can talk till then. And we talked for a while. You know, there are two mobile home parks in that little town. One is for where the old people live. It's the cutest little place. It's like old people mobile home park, and all the lots are a little small, so there's not much to mow, and everything's all really well kept. And there's the other mobile home park, and it's nice too, but it's where people live with kids. And there's a lot of people with just <laughs> obvious needs just pulling out on the lawn all the time. So Jane says she's out on the deck one day. She sees these three little kids, and they come down the road just crying and crying. Help me, daddy's drinking, daddy's beating mom, help me. And so now she's involved in their lives. She's helping the gal whose husband has a problem with alcohol and abuse and the little children whose daddy is a drunk who abuses his kids, his wife. Her daughter came over. She said her daughter came over a while ago and he said, Mom, how do you feel about being here? Jane said, I think it's where God's put me. Tonight, uh, I spent more time studying on my night, Sunday night service than on my Sunday morning service. And it's been rich because it's a three-chapter book in the Old Testament, Joel. Whew, is it a good book? It's just really something. And it's interesting, there's a natural disaster, and the prophet Joel is moved by God to come in and tell the people how to respond to this natural disaster. It's just really a powerful book. So we're doing a flyover of the book of Joel tonight. We're also doing something tonight. I heard, heard about a little boy coming to church and last Sunday night, and his folks were telling him, he was asking what's up, and his folks were telling him what's up, and he said, we're going to hear Pastor Peter Pont preach. I thought that, yeah, I thought that was too bad. He didn't know my name right, so I figured we got to get to know him better. Tonight we're going to have preachers' pals before the sur- before the uh, message. Another we have a, ch- a story for children. So bring your little kids and your grandkids and all that. We'll come up, bring them up front, have some fun, tell them a story. But we're also going to do this message on a flyover of Joel, and I think it'll be a good way to, for you to begin your Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving week. Can we just like embrace the entire week as Thanksgiving? It's a great week. Uh, it's kind of understated and quiet and peaceful. And, and, and uh, on Wednesday night, everybody's going to come together here. It isn't, way, it isn't the way I like for it to be yet, but it would be kind of neat if this became kind of a very neat tradition on Wednesday night that everybody comes on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving and you guys take the service as much as you want to take. You're giving Thanksgiving and praise like publicly. You have a microphone we pass around. There's some beautiful songs and so forth. A microphone we pass around. Then you just tell God what you're thankful for. It'll be a beautiful service this Wednesday night. And no one and no teen group, everything right here. Ladies, I know you're real busy. Plan ahead. Please do not neglect your preparations. Because we all appreciate that. But anyway, that's what's happening. So um, I trust that you won't lose uh, tonight uh, what we've talked, or this afternoon. It does seem late, doesn't it? What we've talked about. In the Welsh Revival, uh, there were these young women. And uh, they went to the meetings of the Welsh Revival and their hearts were changed and stirred. And, and then the years went by and the church kind of grew cold again. There was a young preacher that came through. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. And Leonard Ravenhill preached one night in a Welch church many years after the revival fires had died. And he said that 
then he, the next, then he had a wonderful meeting, and then that next day he was out calling, and he, he called on these two women. They were old women now. And they said to him, Reverend, last night after the service, we went home like we went home after the Welsh revival. She said, we walked up the hill like we walked up the hill the night after the Welsh revival. He said, what do you mean? He said, during a Welsh revival, when God was moving like that, we couldn't even talk after the service. All we could do is feel the weight of what was said. And it was like that last night. Today, I just trust that even though you may greet others, that it won't be frivolous conversation. But, but what does God want you to do? What is God stirring in your life? Who does God want you to love and talk to on the way out? What is God asking of you that will be very exciting when you obey it? I trust that you will obey him. And I enjoy meeting with you today. I trust that you did too. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for this day and for the uh, privilege that we've had today of just singing, giving, giving praise, and attending your word. It's your day. I pray, Lord, that no one would covet it, but it wouldn't be a day for our pleasure, but it would be a day that we'd find pleasure in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good day.